When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. I- Happy holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy New Year to everyone. On this edition of our podcast, I'm going to be joined by one of the two remaining unbeaten coaches in the country, Brian Dutcher of San Diego State. Butler's Laval Jordan, the Bulldogs, certainly one of the surprise teams in the country as they start the Big East play where they got a legitimate shot to win the Big East and they were predicted to finish toward the bottom in the eighth spot, I think, uh, sort of in the preseason. And then the Hall of Fame broadcaster, my good friend from ESPN, Dick Vitale, we're going to go over not just what he's seen so far this season, but some of his uh, favorite memories over the last decade in uh, calling the sport that he loves so much. But before we get to that, it was a light week last week, uh, obviously due to the holidays. This week's going to pick up tremendously with tons of games, and we're going to talk about that with Chad Acock from Turner Sports on the backside of the podcast with some predictions. Um, some headlines. Let's start with number five. A big win for LSU. They'll go to 8-4 and four on the season and snap the 14-game winning streak of Liberty. There are now only two undefeated teams in college basketball. And then there were two. Liberty lost at LSU, leaving San Diego State at 13-0 as we're taping, and Auburn at 12-0 as the last two remaining unbeatens. Now, Auburn's going to travel into Mississippi State. They've not been playing well, so um, we'll see who I pick later uh, in the podcast if I think Auburn's going to remain unbeaten past this week. And San Diego State, on the weekend, they're at Utah State. You'll hear my prediction later in this podcast. They will remain unbeaten, and we're going to talk to Brian Dutcher about how the Aztecs have been the number one team in the net right now and how all that occurred in getting to that spot so far. At number four. In dominant fashion, a 20-point win for the Badgers from the Big Ten against the Tennessee Volunteers. Headline number four, Wisconsin. They won their first road and or neutral game of the season by beating Tennessee and Knoxville to boost a sagging profile up and heading back into the Big Ten. Now, the Badgers, you know, were desperate to get Micah Potter, the transfer from Ohio State, back. He's been playing well in this couple games back. Uh, Tennessee, no Lamonte Turner. But just getting a road win like that against an SEC team is just massive for their profile. And uh, it helps the overall Big Ten. So Wisconsin, by far uh, their best win of the season by getting it away from the Kohl Center. Headline number three. A really good win for Arkansas. Pick one up on the road in Bloomington and to improve to 11-1 on the season. Arkansas, another surprise team this season. They won at Indiana, sending the Razorbacks into the SEC with only one loss. So that win at Indiana is going to carry great weight for Arkansas, uh, for their resume, and clearly for the SEC. Headline number two. Eight-point win for West Virginia here in Cleveland. A really impressive defensive effort from West Virginia to knock off number two, Ohio State. West Virginia. They took out Ohio State in Cleveland to serve notice that the Mountaineers are a real threat to challenge Kansas and Baylor and maybe others in the Big 12. Look, way back in the pre-pre-preseason, okay, I picked West Virginia last, but I did so, I have to qualify this. I said it was hard to pick anyone last because all 10 teams were going to go into the season um, feeling they had a chance. I amended that. Huggins called me out, Bob Huggins. And by the way, it's great when they're relevant, when he's relevant. Um, And I amended that. I moved them up. I kept moving them up. The more they played, they beat Wichita State in Cancun. Now I've got them in the top 10. So I'm all in on West Virginia. Things change. People change. You see what, uh, you know, how they played. So clearly... 
they are much better than any of us projected. And we didn't know about their guard play. And clearly that has been um, a huge plus for them, especially with freshmen. Headline number one. What a way to top it off for the Wildcats. The 53rd edition was a dandy. Kentucky wins it in overtime. Kentucky knocks off rival Louisville in overtime at Rupp to bookend its November and December schedule with two monster wins. The first one came on day one over Michigan State on New York in New York and here at the end of December over Louisville. In between, they had a rough stretch. They lost at home to Evansville. They lost in Las Vegas to Utah and Ohio State. But they got two pretty good wins over Michigan State on neutral and Louisville at home. And those are your five headlines of the week. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, my good friend, the Hall of Famer, Dick Vitale. And, and Dick, a couple quick things for you. First of all, uh, as we pass the Christmas holiday into the new year, into conference play, um, we've got, this is our sixth number one team in the country in Gonzaga. Probably not going to be the last. Uh, how would you assess uh, how wide open this season is so far? Well, obviously it is, uh, Andy. I think uh, you don't have to go to Harvard to figure that out. It's, it's basically a situation where uh, teams going to beat one another, and you're going to have a lot of losses among the elite teams. However, saying all that, I think Gonzaga will remain number one for a long period of time. I think the only potential threat they have is St. Mary's, and obviously St. Mary's is very good, but I look at that Gonzaga team and had seen them in person up in the Bahamas. Uh, they were injured at that time. Uh, I'm telling you, I think they're going to run the table. That's my gut feeling. I think they're going to run the table until they get into postseason play. Yeah, well, St. Mary's and BYU certainly are two teams that, that potentially could get them in the WCC because it's better this year. But you're right. The healthier they get, the, the tougher they are going to be to beat. Um, I, I still get the sense that even though we're going to have a lot of turnover at the top and we don't have a great team, I still feel like we're going to have brand names. I just don't know which ones yet. They're going to rise to the top and be there, you know, as the teams we're going to talk about in March. How much do you agree with that? You know, I, I agree. I think it's the same basic clubs when you when you look at it. I think you see the Kansas. I have them coming up soon against Stanford on the road on an ABC special. And uh, I think that when you look at Dotson as a bouquet, they give them a great inside-outside threat. So I think they'll be a factor. I think, you know, Duke is – an old-fashioned kind of Duke team. It's not one of those explosive Duke teams. But Trey Jones is a terrific point guard. The kid inside carry gives him score. I think we'll see those teams. And I'll tell you the one team everybody's sort of writing off when I read some of the comments. I'm telling you, they don't write them off too soon because they got a formula that's important to winning. They got good coaching and they got talent. They have not played to their talent yet, and that's Kentucky. Yep. People better not write them off definitely because I'm telling you, they still – John Calipari is a master at getting players to perform to their ability. Right now, these kids have not. Uh, they have shot the ball well, but I would not count them out. Uh, another team, when you take a look across this nation, I mean, you look out there and, and you, you look at the, the landscape. The Big Ten is very good, Andy. The Big Ten has got some quality teams. Ohio State is quality. They defend so well. And when you defend well, you got a chance to win every time on the floor. And then you got the big kid in the post there, Weston, who's as good as any post player uh, in the country, maybe. He and the, certainly has a bouquet of Kansas. But uh, they'll be right there in the running as well. But the, the Big Ten will be a little wild scene. And we've already seen the, an Illinois unranked goes out and wins a big game against Michigan. We see, for example, Penn State beating Maryland. We see out there uh, uh, Ohio State gets beat by Minnesota, who at the time was under 500, but now is playing some good basketball, just blew out by like 25 Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. So, I think life in the Big Ten is going to be very tough. And I'll tell you a conference that's really a lot better than I thought going into the season, and that's the Big East. Yes, top to bottom. No question about it. The Big East, what they did to the Big 12, 8-2 to two in that matchups. I mean, Kansas losing to Villanova. You take one after another. It was unbelievable. Player of the year race, um, while I think the championship race is wide open, the player of the year race, I, it's hard to pick one person right now. Yeah, you know, you really can't. It, it, it's, it's, it's like you said, it is wide open. And that's the beauty of it all. The one team I thought, I thought, and I've been putting it up on Twitter, Santa Claus has not come through for me. I was hoping and praying that Santa Claus could have put a beautiful Memphis jersey on the James Wiseman's tree and got him on that floor because I did their game against Tennessee. 
and Tennessee had Turner in that game, who, by the way, is a tough loss for Tennessee, losing him, veteran guard. But let me tell you this. I was so impressed with the athletic ability of the kids from Memphis. When you look, for example, uh, the kid, the Achua, yep. and then you look at the kid Jeffries, I mean, they got some athletes. And if you, and I saw them without two key players. I saw them without the kid Lester uh, uh, Colonis. Yep. I saw them also without uh, James Weissman. I think they'd be a legit contender to win it all. I really do. And Oregon, don't forget Oregon. Oregon now with Dante coming in now, he's played, played the last game a few minutes. Uh, big guy. Uh, I saw them out in the Bahamas. Yep, and I think they're yep. going to be a friend. I think the Pac-12 is way better than it was certainly last year, which was really down. All right, so in the last 10 years, I know you've done so many great games, obviously in the last 40, but in the last 10 since we're ending the decade, uh, what are one or two that just jump out to you that you, you can't forget in the last 10, that moments that you remember? Well, you know, you talk about moments to remember, and I, I think about, for example, I did the game. Uh, Virginia over Auburn, 63-62 in the final four. It was a cloud, was an unbelievable emotion. And everybody, you know, going wild for Virginia after what happened the year prior. That was special. What about Villanova over North Carolina in the championship there in, in 2016? These are some of mine that I posted. Uh, my all-decade great moments. Uh, Kansas over Duke in the Midwest Regional back in March of 2018. An overtime game was unbelievable. Uh, I think about Duke over Butler in the national championship yep. game. To begin the decade. Yeah, Kentucky-Notre Dame game was incredible in the Midwest Regional. Uh, Mike Bray was so close to going to the Final Four, and Kentucky pulled that game out. But, uh, you know, a lot of people disagree, Andy, with my, which I think is great. Yeah, no, of course. No, they disagree with my top five players for the decade. Oh, okay, go ahead. I'm going to lay them on you, and you'll disagree too, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's great. I think it's great. No, I, no, I, See, I agree. There's so much that people look at, NBA, 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 and they forget about what they did in college. I don't care what they did in the NBA. I don't care if they're flopping the NBA. So my teams were Zion Williamson for that one year, what he did for college basketball, to give us the kind of publicity, notoriety, excitement. I got Zion. I got Anthony Davis. I mean, that's a no-brainer from Kentucky, 2012. Unbelievable. I got Buddy Hill. I thought Buddy Hill was off the charts in Oklahoma. I'll never forget the one game against Kansas that they lost. He went, it was unreal. Kemba Walker. I don't think people can argue with those four. But just the one they argue with me, and that's okay, because he has not been a good NBA player. In fact, he's been a little disappointed. He's been with five teams already. I'm talking about what he did when he played for John Beeline, Trey Burke. Trey Burke was unreal. Took him to the final game of the NCAA tournament. So I got Trey Burke in his. Those five are my guys. Well, I agree with your first four, and you're right. The five is debatable. Burke, but that's everybody's disagreeing. You know the one, the one I would put in there then? I would probably put Jalen Brunson because he won two titles. Yeah, Brunson a good one. Brunson's name comes up a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So anyway, that's uh, and then my teams uh, in my decades. We had to do this at ESPN. Uh, my teams in a decade were certainly I like North Carolina in 2017, the Huskies in 2014, 2018 Villanova, Duke in 2015, and the Cats Wildcats in 2012. So you just got my all decade. And if people go to ESPN.com slash Nick Vitale, they can see it there. But better than that, and you got to tell your people to help me raise money for cancer by going to DickVitaleOnline.com. They can either make a donation or they can buy my merchandise, my latest book, my Mount Rushmore's every dollar, not 20 cents, 30 cents, every dollar that I would make goes in a pot toward my goal this year is a very high goal. $5 million I want to raise this year. On May 8th, announced to the crowd that we have $5 million plus for kids battling cancer. You are a true mensch. I wanted to end with that. Do you have an overall figure? Because what you've done to raise money for pediatric cancer is off the charts. Do you have even an overall figure right now? Well, you know, Andy, so many people have helped me. My great team I have started with my wife and the people I work with, Mary Keneally, Janet Allen, who do a great job putting the event on. We have raised right now... 29.5 million that not raised, we raised more than that, but that's 29.5 million that has gone to research from the dollars we have raised. Uh, and I can't thank the people enough. Uh, we're also raffling off right now a beautiful red Mercedes convertible. Uh, we only 1,500 chances, $100 a chance, and people can get those again at my website. 
DickVitaleOnline.com. I'm obsessed with it, Andy. You know, think about today. People out there want you to listen to your podcast. Think about today. You know, you think you're going to a tough day? It's not going to be as tough as 45 to 50 mothers and fathers every day, every day, hear four words no mom and dad ever wants to hear. Your child has cancer. It's life-changing. You can't work, Andy. The love for your kids. I, I talked to dads that have had kids. I spoke at a funeral about three, four months ago. Crushed me watching the mom and dad put their three-year-old son, Clayton, to rest. And I'll tell you, I'm obsessed with it. It, it. I get to know these kids. They just don't walk into my gala as a member of the Dickie V. Wall Courageous team. And I see them for the first time. These kids I get to know during the year. I talk to their families and what they go through. Moms and dads can't work. Your kid's doing chemo and radiation. And you think you concentrate on and work it? Can't do it. And, you know, just to put a bow on this, your timing is impeccable because you're honoring the number one team's coach in the country in May in Mark Few and the great work that Mark has done up in Spokane. Uh, years ago, I went to his uh, Coaches versus Cancer event up there. So great job, obviously. Um, that you, that'll be in May in uh, in Sarasota. You're going to be honoring Mark, among others, at your at your gala. Is that correct? Yeah, we got Mark. We got uh, Stephen A. Smith's going to electrify everybody. And we got uh, the coach locally. We're trying to get a local boost Arians. He's doing a good job restoring some pride in the Bucks. And then we're going to give two John Saunders awards. I miss John so much. And he loved my gal and loved kids so much that we have the John Saunders Awards for people battling cancer who are so courageous. And we're giving two out. One to Pat Williams. He's a guy who's the architect of uh, the Orlando Magic coming to Orlando in the NBA. And also Jim Kelly, uh, the quarterback superstar of the Buffalo Bills. He'll be with us. And then we're giving a special grant out in the name of Mitch Album for his daughter. Mitch lost his daughter to brain cancer. And it'll be quite a night. And, and we got right now for years, John has been the uh, Saunders was our MC, but now we have a great guy that's stepped in and Kevin DeGande. <clears throat> it's a special night, Andy. We'll sell out. We'll have about 60, 70 celebrities with us. They will all come free. Man, I'd love to get you and your wife to come on out May 8th, man. Join us. May 8th, 2020 down in Sarasota. I'll try to make it happen. Appreciate it. Ritz Carlton, baby. It's, you'll have a great time. You've introduced one of our celebrities. You and your wife come as a guest, and you'll have a great, great time. And plus, you'll be there with a lot of your people. Uh, you can do some work. There's be a lot of coaches there and people there you can talk to. Well, Dick, I appreciate it as always. Have a great holiday. We'll be seeing you soon. Great, great. Same to you, Andy. Really, you're doing a great job. Keep it up, buddy, but I'm not shocked. You always were a hard worker. Got a great work ethic, and you're just a blue chip guy. All right. Thanks, Dick. Thank you. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, before we get to our guests, uh, San Diego State head coach Brian Dutcher and Butler head coach Laval Jordan, it's time for Cats Ranks, hashtag Cats Ranks. These are my top 10 favorite teams from the past decade that didn't win the title. Okay, now it didn't have to be a runner-up. Okay, keep in mind, it did not have to be a runner-up. Some of these are, not all. Let's start at number 10. This was a runner-up team. 2012 Kansas. Quality squad that ran into a machine led by Anthony Davis of Kentucky. At number 9, 2013 Michigan, led by Trey Burke, ran into a Louisville team that just was a little better toward the end. Number 8, 2016 Oklahoma, lost badly to Villanova in the semis, but I loved covering that Buddy Heald team. At number 7, 2011 BYU, Jimmer Fredette. Come on, who didn't love that team? Uh, would have been great to see BYU go on a great run, get to the Final Four. It just didn't happen. Um, so, uh, I, you know, it's one of my favorite teams that didn't win the National Championship or get to the Final Four, got to the Sweet 16. At number 6, 2019 Duke. Um, this was a team, of course, with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, knocked off by Michigan State in the Elite Eight in D.C. last year, but certainly one of my favorite teams that did not win the national championship. At number five, 2018 Loyola Chicago. What a great story. Sister Jean, um, Porter Moser was great to deal with. Uh, just a pleasure to cover. At number four, 2017 Gonzaga. Zags on the doorstep of winning a national championship just didn't happen. Um, but a great team to cover as well. 
loved hanging out with the Zags and following that story in Phoenix um, and seeing all the Zags come together to see a potential national champion. At number three, 2010 Butler. The first Butler team that got to uh, the national title game, the shot that Gordon Hayward uh, took. It was not a heave. It was a shot that didn't go down. So, you know, that would have been an epic, epic final decision had Butler knocked off Duke. Would have potentially changed the landscape of college basketball. Uh, It pretty much did just by them even being in the game and almost winning the game. At number two, 2015 Kentucky. What a great Final Four this was. Kentucky came in. They got their first loss of the season handed to them by the Badgers um, in an epic semifinal because of what Wisconsin did. Um, that was when Cal thought they could go 40-0. And uh, the Harrison brothers returned. What I loved about that was, I mean, that, that was, I thought, just one of the most hyped semifinals we've seen in a long time. Uh, just a great matchup. Everyone expected a Kentucky-Duke final. Instead, he got Wisconsin-Duke. Um, so, you know, look, for Kentucky uh, to get knocked off, that regular season will be always remembered for the run they had. They were the Goliath. Uh, they didn't win it. A great semifinal. Great team to cover. 2015 Kentucky. Number one team that didn't win the title that I enjoyed the most covering. Well, it's my alma mater. That same year. 2015 Wisconsin. That semifinal victory, the fifth quarter, the band playing, crowd going crazy, doing jump around in, in India at Lucas Oil. Um, the scene, like the Beatles rock star scene, where uh, you had uh, Sam Decker and Frank Kamitsky overlooking the, the balcony at the hotel at the Omni. It was just crazy. What a, I mean, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable scene. So Wisconsin in 2015, Kentucky in 2015, those are my top two that didn't win the national championship. Duke did that year in 2015. So going reverse order, you've got Wisconsin 2015, Kentucky 2015, 2010 Butler, 2017 Gonzaga, 2018 Loyola Chicago, 2019 Duke, 2011 BYU, 2016 Oklahoma, 2013 Michigan, 2012 Kansas. My top 10 teams that didn't win the title this past decade. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Laval Jordan, the head coach of the Butler Bulldogs. And Butler in the preseason picked eighth in the Big East. Uh, three starters back, NIT team. And guess what? We were all wrong. Uh, they are now <laughs> a one-loss team. Uh, could have been a zero-loss team uh, had they won the game at Baylor. They came down to the last possession or two. They are number three as we are taping this uh, in the net rankings right after Christmas. Uh, Laval, clearly outside of your locker room, few people predicted this. Uh, how has this happened to this point? Yeah, Eddie, I think it's just a commitment to our principles. It's a, a full locker room, a collective uh, commitment. Guys are coming to work every day just to get better. And so um, haven't really focused on a ton of any of the rankings or any of the other stuff. It's just we got a group that uh, they just come to put the work in. But But with what you had coming back, and you, you know, I remember seeing you at Big East Media Day. There, all the discussion was about Seton Hall. Maybe Villanova still, you know, challenging them. Uh, there was zero chatter. Maybe a little bit about Kamar Baldwin, obviously, because what he'd done in the past. But zero about Butler. Um, what did you know about this group that clearly everyone else did not? Yeah, well, obviously having, um, you know, Derek Schmitz come in and he, he hasn't he just now became available. Uh, Bryce Enzi. Um, being a factor um, that that he is, and you know, you didn't know necessarily how it's going to play out, but we know what we believe he was capable of doing, and um, and our guys' development. I think that's the, the you know the one thing when you get into the preseason stuff is you know no one knows and has been around for the summer uh, to see the development of, of a guy like Christian David. Uh, nobody's seen you know the development of a guy like Sean McDermott. Everybody knows he can shoot, but how how else he's developed. Um, and nobody's seen the development of a guy like Bryce Golden, except us, right? Our strength coach, our staff, and his teammates. And so, um, knowing that we had high high expectations for what they could produce, that we know it was going to be exactly this. Now, I'm not saying that, but you knew those guys had gotten a lot better, and you felt good about where they were. You know, and with someone like Baldwin, a lot of times we see, and we've seen this, you know, this season, where there's a senior 
uh, or, or, you know, junior, which, you know, obviously in today's world is determined to be, you know, a, a, a veteran, is expected to do something and for whatever reason cannot, doesn't live up to the hype, isn't able to lead that way. How has Kamar Baldwin delivered on what were obviously high expectations for him in this team? Yeah, that's a great question, Andy. I just think Kamar, he's such a good person. Uh, he, he really could care less about any of the personal accolades. He's all about winning, and uh, and he trusts his teammates. And so I think, you know, him knowing the, and shouldering a big load is, uh, you know, he knew that and prepared himself well. He had an unbelievable commitment to his body and his diet and things that he had to do to prepare to play and, and perform at a high level each and every day at practice uh, and in their games. And then um, his growth internally just – Spiritually, uh, you know, strong in his faith and leadership wise, you know, he's grown a ton just being able to help the younger guys talking a lot more, uh, just fully invested in, in the team and uh, in our growth and development as a team from his leadership to his performance. So, you know, obviously we're all getting wrapped up in the end of the decade. And you, know, you think back to the beginning of this decade uh, and Butler was the story. You know, back in in 2010 and 2011, uh, they, they didn't win the national championship, didn't have to because they were still clearly the story in the sport with what occurred with back to back national championship games. Uh, how has this job changed in the last 10 years? Well, I, obviously, you know, you look at at Butler then to now, it's not like Butler was a, uh, you know, somebody you didn't know about. But I think nationally, you know, there's not many people, uh, not many living rooms or, or coaches in terms of recruiting uh, phone calls you make where people don't know where, where who Butler is. Uh, the Big East is a, is a huge, uh, been a huge thing for us just to be able to make the jump from Horizon to Atlantic 10 to Big East. Um, and, and now, you know, night in, night out being on that stage, uh, Madison Square Garden, end of the year. And so now it's, it's uh, you know, maybe a different entry point in, into recruitments. Um, our, our job is to continue to recruit the, the same type of profile of per, uh, person, uh, other guys. And so, uh, but I think the commitment from the university, Barry Collier, our athletic director, uh, things that they've done around Hinkle Fieldhouse, around our facilities on our campus, uh, have been unbelievable, uh, from, from a decade ago and, until today. And so, um, Definitely benefits of you know of us athletically, but there's been such a commitment around the entire university with the jump into the Big East to uh, to raise the standard of Butler. You know, there had always been great coaches that had come through, but how much had that responsibility, that ownership, to keep it at this high level? Um, how much has that changed for the head coach now, ten years later? from a national championship game. Yeah, I don't know if it, I think it's always been the case. Um, you know, and I just think, more national attention to it? Yeah, I think there's more attention outside, you know, from you guys uh, about the where it is, but heck when I was playing here and and you know 20 years ago, we thought we could win the whole thing if we stuck true to our principles if we played together. Uh, and if we, you know, if we attack the way that, that Butler does things, uh, and Gordon and Shelvin and Brad Stevens and and same crew, and whether it was Dad Dad Mata or Coach Licklider and or Coach Holtman, you know, Brandon Miller, everybody had the same belief in what we do. Uh, we, you know, we know uh, knowing who you are is a big thing. Uh, having an identity is a big thing. Um, but I think nationally, yeah, you guys probably have more attention on it, but we've always felt the same way we feel now. If we do our jobs every day, if we played our standard every day, um, you know, we can compete with anybody. All right, one last thing, Laval. Uh, I know you don't want to get ahead of yourself, so I won't get you too far. <laughs> but just as you get ready to go into the Big East here in a week, or less than a week, excuse me, you know the way this game is played in terms of building a resume to this point. Net ranking is three. Uh, the fact that the Big East – um, basically went undefeated over the last weekend. Everyone, you know, now Providence got their good win. So everyone, there's no bad teams. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's thanks. a pro and con thanks. to that. <laughs> no, but there's a pro and con to that. So you guys have built up your resume to a point where, you know, you've, you've got, you know, plenty on the shelf. You don't need it all in the league. On the flip side, every night you go out, 
it's going to be a quality potential quad one or quad two win uh, or loss so that it, you might not get hurt as badly. And I know it's kind of a weird <laughs> feeling like that, but what does that say about where this league is at that, you know, there can be some comfort, if that's the, the right word, knowing that uh, you're going to be able to build this resume over the next two months to put yourself in a position to get in because all these games are going to matter and, and mean something because of where these teams are at at this point. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the beauty of uh, being a member of the Big East. Uh, obviously, you know, back when you're in the horizon and, and there was uh, such pressure, to, you know, to have to win every game or uh, how the loss could affect you to be able to, to be able to have a chance to be in the NCAA, NCAA tournament, which is the, the greatest sporting event there is, and, and compete for a national championship. But obviously, you know, you make the move. And, and like I said, President Danko, Barry Carter, to get into the Big East. And I know there were a lot of questions, you know, the new Big East when all the realignment happened. And, and I think, you know, you see what our league is doing right now. Many of those questions are answered. This was, this was the vision. Uh, Val Ackerman, Stu Jackson, unbelievable job of, of getting the right schools in and basketball-centered and, uh, and, you know, focused. And, and everyone now, I think um, – having you know being where they uh envision being with the new big east and so yeah there's no nights off <laughs> it's there's there's no nights off but it's it's what you come here for uh it's what you come here for and you come here to compete against great programs which there are great coaches which there are unbelievable players i mean there's some amazing talent in our league uh and you know to put yourself in position to compete for a big east championship and and play in march and you know, long term and compete for a national championship. So, uh, this Stars Down Conference schedule was set up to get us prepared for that. We knew we knew what the league would be like. There's a lot of upperclassmen coming back, the older teams, there's great coaches. So you have to be prepared for that. And if you don't, you know, man, I, I, I didn't know we would be where we are in terms of our schedule and, and, and uh, winning and losing, but I knew it would get us ready for Big East play. Laval, I appreciate it. Happy holidays to you and your family. Hey, thanks a lot, Andy. Happy holidays to you too. Now joining me here, March Madness 365, San Diego State head coach Brian Dutcher. Uh, the Aztecs, as we we're taping this during the holiday week, are at not number five, number 10. They're at number one in the net ranking. Uh, got through um, unblemished into the last weekend of December. Uh, number one, the number one team that you could argue going into the Mountain West Conference, which will start up next week. Big game coming up against Fresno at home and then at Utah State. Uh, Brian, how did we get here, Brian, where San Diego State is ranked in the top 15, top 10 for me, uh, top 15, number one in the net? How, how did this happen? Well, good scheduling and good players, Andy. So it's been, a, it's been a great run. Last year at this time, we had five freshmen and three sophomores. And I just knew that I wanted to get older and we took two fifth-year seniors. We had a fourth-year junior, Malachi Flint, sitting. And so we got older this year, and I think it's paid off for us. And, and really, at the beginning of the year, you also challenged yourself um, right off the bat. And I know when you schedule it, like Yoli Childs was supposed to be there. He wasn't. They're, st- they're still pretty good without him. That win at BYU, which I think went a little under the radar uh, right off the bat in the first week and a half of the season. What did that tell you about this group? That we had some resiliency about us. You know, we got down nine in the second half. We didn't give in, and then we fought our way to a hard uh, hard victory. And then uh, Iowa, a couple weeks later, we were down 16 in the first half, and we fought back. So this team has a little grit, toughness about it that you never know until you go through those moments on the floor. Yeah, that tournament in Las Vegas was billed as sort of, oh, Texas Tech's going to walk through, uh, and uh, not happening. They ended up losing two. You beat a Creighton team, which clearly is also showing to be much better than advertised, and an Iowa team at the time, which had Jordan Bohannon, and you win that tournament in Las Vegas. And then, most recently, you beat a Utah team, which I know was young, but at the same time had just beaten Kentucky, so they're riding that wave of, of, of emotion. That's a neutral court, so you've got multiple, multiple neutral court wins. you got a couple of true road wins. Um, I, I don't know if you could have played this schedule any better. What's your assessment? You know, I think that's why we're number one in the net, Andy, because we went on the road, you know, wins at BYU, win at Colorado State, and then the neutral wins, obviously, against very good uh, Creighton, Iowa, and Utah teams. So we did it away from home, and I think that's uh, uh, what bears out in the rankings. Uh, so we scheduled our challenging schedule. Uh, we came through unblemished, and that's why we're where we're at right now. 
You know, Brian, when, when you took over for Steve Fisher, I think it was natural. You know, okay, what's going to happen here? You guys had that great run uh, earlier in this decade. You know, Kawhi Leonard obviously was the most notable player that came through and uh, and really been a, a mainstay at the top of the Mountain West. Uh, w- when you're saying getting old and stale, how, how did you see this playing out once you knew you were going to take over for Steve Fisher? You know, most guys, when they take over a program, they talk about changing the culture. My greatest task was to maintain the culture that Steve Fisher had established here in his 18, 19 years on campus. And obviously, I was, I was here the entire time. This is year 21 on campus for me. So we've had a winning culture. We've been to the NCAA tournament seven of the last 10 years. Uh, we're used to winning. We're used to winning big. And uh, we have to just continue to recruit really good players that are good people uh, in order to do that. All right, so the Mountain West, like a lot of other conferences, already started with league games. You're 2-0. and uh, New Mexico, Utah State, also 2-0. and And Utah State was the overwhelming favorite in the preseason. Uh, it almost feels like last year. I don't want to dis, you know, discount, obviously, the Aggies because they're still – they got a great shot, obviously, to, to win the league and get in the tournament. Um, you know, all the hype was about Nevada early, and then Nevada gets in the league uh, that second year after winning it the year before, and it's not easy. Um, you've been through this, as you said, as an assistant. What, what's it like when – you know, when you are the favorite that second year and everyone's coming at you. Uh, there was a time Aztec basketball, if there was a red out, green out, blackout, whatever it was, it was against us. So we were used to playing in that kind of environment. Over the last couple of years, like you said, Nevada kind of took that reign from us uh, uh, with uh, uh, Musselman and uh, uh, had great years. And so it feels good to be back in contention, to feel like we have a chance to compete in the Mount West at the highest level. And uh, we're going to have to beat a good Utah State team in order to do that. They've been a little underhanded because Kate has been hurt, but they've got great quality wins against Florida and LSU and tough losses against St. Mary's and, and BYU. So they're going to be very good, as is, I think, New Mexico. Um, the way the West has sort of had a bit of a resurgence this season, the Pac-12, I just mentioned the WCC with, uh, you know, with Gonzaga and um, uh, BYU and St. Mary's, all I think obviously tournament teams, Gonzaga number one in the country. Um, you know, you guys, Utah State, we'll see if New Mexico, how they handle, you know, some of these uh, suspensions right now. Um, how have you seen the West now sort of come back this season? You know, it's, it's like anything else. It's like recruiting. It, it's secular. And so uh, the West Coast has had a good influx of talent over the last couple of years. They're going to West Coast schools. And because of that, the West Coast teams are, are really strong again. And so we've got good players in our program, as do uh, programs like Gonzaga, St. Mary's, uh, BYU, and then the Pac-12, obviously, uh, had a big research in the talent. And I think that's uh, played out in wins for all those teams. You know, so often you, you don't want to leave everything to your league uh, to try to get yourself in. Um, now, you've done, obviously, everything you need to do with the schedule to get into the Mountain West on a high, so it's not all on that. How much, I mean, I know it's a marathon here. we got two more months. But what kind of comfort do you find in knowing that you've built a strong resume right now, number one in the net, as we said, and so, you know, if you lose a game on the road uh, in a league that's good, that it's not going to be, you know, detrimental to you. It's not going to be disastrous because so often there's so much pressure on you guys to win all these games and people have no concept of how tough it is to win on the road. Yeah, there are a lot of landmines and everyone says, what's the toughest conference? And it's whatever conference you're in. And so I would argue with the Mountain West that we have to play at altitude. We go to Laramie and play at 7,000 feet. We go to uh, Albuquerque, play at 7,000 feet. Uh, Air Force Academy, Colorado State, we're playing at altitude in all those games. And as much as people will dismiss it, it is a challenge. So uh, we're excited for those opportunities to play really hard games in a very tough conference. And Malachi Flynn, you mentioned him. Um, He's your leading scorer. And the country doesn't necessarily know a lot about him. What should they know? That he was a a 16-point-a-game scorer in the Pac-12, decided to leave Washington State, came with us. And he's a very good scorer. But I think the thing that would surprise most people is like he's a three or four to one assist to turnover ratio. So even though he's not scoring, he's had games of 10 assists, nine assists. So not only does he score, he does a great job of fighting his teammates. Brian Dutcher, head coach of San Diego State. Appreciate it. You guys are doing great. Thank you. Appreciate it, Andy. Thanks for having me. And now 
Now here on March Madness 365, time for Chad Acock from Turner Sports to uh, review my predictions from a light week because of the Christmas holiday. And now to look ahead to this week where we've got probably close to a dozen games uh, to predict. And uh, Chad, first of all, how did I do in the light week last week? Yeah, light week. So you only went three and three, six games we gave you. Uh, a lot of close ones. I guess the biggest one you can hang your hat on was was picking the Kentucky-Louisville game correct. Uh, Kentucky was was struggling, but you went on a limb and said they'd win at home, and they did. Uh, you pr- you correctly predicted that Liberty would lose its first game of the year against LSU, and then Kansas got a West Coast victory uh, against Stanford. What you missed on was Tennessee at home against Wisconsin, Ohio State against West Virginia and Cleveland, and then Indiana also lost at home against Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, first of all, kudos West Virginia, our national team of the week. Uh, clearly the best win of the week. Uh, obviously, Kentucky fans would say that their win over Louisville was the best win. But in terms of the most significant, uh, that win over Ohio State, I think, will have incredible shelf life for West Virginia going forward. Uh, the The one that, you know, I, I don't regret at all because Wisconsin ha- had basically been two completely different teams, home, neutral, road, and they had not won a game away from the Cole Center, had shot poorly. And so even though with Lamonte Turner hurt, I still felt like Tennessee would get them just because Wisconsin had not proven that they could win on the road. And as for Indiana-Arkansas, you know, I think a lot of us, and I was in the same boat because, look, Arkansas wasn't ranked, uh, you know, kind of waiting to see what would happen when they go on the road in a true road game like that. And Indiana, Indiana for the most part, outside of that one home, uh, excuse me, that one road game, uh, at Wisconsin had played very consistently this season. So that was a big surprise and a huge, huge boost to the SEC and to Arkansas because we think about it, after Auburn, um, the rest of the SEC has really struggled in November and December. So Arkansas now getting that road win, uh, I think really will help this conference, obviously helps Arkansas's profile. And now as we head into the conference season, you know, you've got Auburn, Kentucky, hopefully with a re- reboot there, and uh, Arkansas, they enter the three teams sort of at the top with, you know, still wondering if Florida is going to get their act together on a consistent basis to join that group. Yeah, the must bus is rolling at Arkansas. Uh, we gave you six games last week. We're going to double that and give you 12 this week. Let's start Thursday, January 2nd. Uh, you've got Oregon at Colorado. You could argue these are the two favorites in the Pac-12 if you wanted to. Um, but who you got winning this one in Boulder? Boy, this is a tough one. I mean, Oregon's played well away from home. Uh, Oregon is the more talented team. Uh, but I'm going to just put some faith in Colorado here uh, in the fact that they're at home. If they want to win the Pac-12, they're going to have to protect their home court playing at altitude. Uh, I know students, you know, it, it wouldn't be as packed because not everyone's going to be back yet. But uh, I'm just going to put some faith that Colorado is going to come out and win this game uh, and, and really set the tone that they are a player to win the Pac-12. Yeah, despite playing in the same conference, that's not a short flight from Oregon either to get to Boulder. But Friday, Wisconsin coming off that win against Tennessee is at Ohio State. Ohio State looked a little vulnerable against West Virginia. Can Wisconsin earn back-to-back road Ws? I don't. I don't see it. Um, I think Chris Holtman will have his guys locked in after the performance against West Virginia. Uh, you know, the Badgers just don't have an answer for Caleb Wesson. So if Caleb Wesson plays up to his potential, uh, I, I just got to believe that Ohio State wins this game. They're the better team. They're at home. Um, you know, Wisconsin, as much as we give them credit for that road win against Tennessee, Tennessee was not at full strength. So I'm going with Ohio State at home. All right. We'll look ahead to Saturday. And Saturdays from here on out are just absolutely loaded. Just all day, 12 to midnight. I mean, it's loaded with matchups. We're going to start in the noon hour. West Virginia at Kansas. How about this one? Like, out of nowhere, West Virginia's put together a pretty good little resume going. Uh, they jumped all the way up to number seven in your power 36. Uh, but winning at Allen Fieldhouse, is, is, is it too tall of a task? Yes. Um, now, they've, they've had opportunities uh, since they've been in the Big 12, uh, and they've played, you know, Kansas incredibly well at home. They've won a bunch of those games in Morgantown, but flipping the script in Allen Fieldhouse, uh, the fact that Kansas rebounded off the Villanova loss where they fumbled away that ball at the end and, and did not close out the game because they really could have, should have won the game. Uh, they are up four with a minute, a little over a minute left uh, in Philadelphia last week. 
So and then they go out to Stanford, they pull away, they win that road game, true road game. I think they get West Virginia at home, but I know we're not there yet, but I easily see these two teams splitting this series like we've seen before uh, when, when we get to the point where they're going to return that game to Morgantown. Uh, but I, I like Kansas at home. Okay, how about LSU at Tennessee? As we said, LSU handed Liberty its first loss of the season. Uh, are they going to keep that momentum going in Knoxville? So I've been going all home so far. I'm going to shift to the road uh, in large part because Tennessee's heading in the wrong direction. I think LSU got a little reset with that Liberty uh, win at home. That was, I wouldn't say a must win, but it, I think for confidence sake, uh, that game's going to fly under the radar. It's going to end up being a huge W for LSU long term because Liberty's going to be in the NCAA tournament. They're going to be a, you know, whether they're quad one, quad two, wherever they land, that's going to be a quality win for LSU. And I think they're going to get this game on the road and be back up in that upper tier in the SEC. All right. Then we'll jump to two o'clock Florida State at Louisville. Schedule's not doing the cards any favors here, having to play Kentucky and Florida State back to back. But who comes out with this one? Ooh. Uh, you know, Chad, we talked off air about upset special. I'm tempted to, you know, and Louisville fans are going to be irked with me here, but I'm tempted to go with an upset here uh, because the length of Florida State can be incredibly disruptive. I think we always, you know, take for granted Leonard Hamilton's teams. Um, I'm not completely sold on Louisville. Uh, If you think about it, they've had three big games this season, okay? They're one and two. Lost to Texas Tech without Jeremiah Ramsey in New York, losing overtime to Kentucky. They beat Michigan at home when Michigan was coming off the battle for Atlantis. Road hangover. Uh, I'm going to go with Florida State. You were, you were asking me, and I was thinking about this while we were talking off air. Is there an upset out there? That's the one I'm going with. Florida State on the road at the KFC Yum. So that's your big upset. I'd be tempted to side with you here, but Louisville having a full week off after this Kentucky game and Florida State having to play a midweek game and Louisville having those veteran guys, fifth-year seniors, uh, I'm going to disagree with you on the upset, pick, but I like your boldness. How about Villanova at Marquette? As of this recording, Marcus Howard is the leading scorer in the country at 26.3 points per game. That number jumps up to 28 when he's at home. Can he lead the Golden Eagles to a win over Nova? Yes. Uh, I think what we're going to see in the Big East is similar to what we saw in the Big Ten um, in December, where only one team won on the road. That was Michigan State winning at Northwestern in their first two games. Uh, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to win on the road in the Big East. It's the, the league now that Providence finally, it seems, maybe got their act together with their win over Texas from one to ten. Just getting a road win is going to, going to be the difference maker. And Pfizer Forum is one of the best home courts in the country. Marcus Howard clearly shoots better at home. Um, I'm going to go with uh, the Golden Eagles to beat uh, Nova. Yeah, I like that pick. How about a rivalry game? We've got Virginia Tech at Virginia. After losing by double digits to South Carolina, UVA, they kind of struggle with Navy before pulling ahead late. Seems like they're just kind of in a weird funk. Can Virginia Tech take advantage and shock the Hoos? I kind of feel like Virginia Tech had its moment in Maui. Uh, Virginia, as well as as much as they are struggling offensively, Braxton Key is back, and the ACC and Tony Bennett usually means wins. So I'm going to go with Virginia at home, knocking off its rival Virginia Tech, and probably a close game like a 55-51-53 type affair. All right, and the fourth game we've got at 2 o'clock Eastern, Iowa at Penn State. A pair of Big Ten teams uh, trending up, both seeking their second Big Ten win. Uh, who you got winning this one? Penn State. I'm riding that bus. Um, you know, their win at home over Maryland should send uh, a clear indication to the rest of the Big Ten. This team is going to be very difficult to beat at home. Iowa now, we know, we know for sure without Jordan Bohanna, it's a lot for Luca Garza to carry. Although that Luca Garza-Lamar Stevens matchup is going to be one of the better ones we see in the Big Ten this season. But I go with Penn State to win at home. Okay, now let's shift to Saturday night. Texas at Baylor. Texas surprisingly just got waxed by Providence before Christmas. Sometimes that happens when guys have their minds on the time off. Uh, should we expect a better showing from the Longhorns in Waco? We should, but Baylor's the better team. And Jared Butler is going to be in contention for Big 12 Player of the Year. They're going to be right there to potentially win the Big 12 with Kansas and West Virginia and maybe Texas Tech. Uh, so I'm going with Baylor. Uh, I think this could be a potential double-digit win for the Bears. I agree. I think they protect home court strong. Now, this is a game we talked about last week, Andy. San Diego State at Utah State. San Diego State, one of the final unbeaten teams. Can Utah State cut this number, I guess, in half 
uh, with a win here? Yes. And I know we just had Brian Dutcher of San Diego State on our podcast. Uh, but, um, you know, the scheduling gods did not look kindly to keep the streak alive because uh, San Diego State goes on the road to the favorites in the Mountain West. And uh, I, I just, you know, can they win on the road? Of course. They've already won on the road. They've won on neutral court. And the Aztecs are defending well. Malachi Flynn, um, you know, as a transfer, has immediately, you know, just w- without a hitch, has just uh, been an impact player for the Aztecs coming over from Washington State. But um, Utah State's getting healthier. And the place is going to be rocking. It's a very tough place to win in Logan, as teams in that league uh, have seen. And before that, when they were in the Big West, uh, I'm going to go with Utah State at home. All right, now let's look at Sunday. Michigan at Michigan State. Last season, Michigan State took both regular season matchups and then the Big Ten Championship over Michigan. Are they going to continue this recent dominance over Michigan? Yes. First game for Juwan Howard in this rivalry. Uh, I think it's going to become uh, as intense, if not more, uh, as the years go on. You know, Cassius Winston did not play in their game uh, over the weekend. Um, Tom Izzo just wanted to rest him for the, really, for the beginning of the, the reset of the Big Ten. So hopefully he's got fresh legs for this week. But um, I, I think Michigan State gets him in the first rivalry. But once again, like I'm sort of foreshadowing here, I easily could see a split because it's going to be very difficult to win on the road in the Big Ten this year, just like I just said about the Big East. But I think at home, Michigan State gets him. Okay, and let's finish it up with a Pac-12 game. USC at Washington. For me, this one's tricky. You know, you know, after mounting a comeback against Baylor to start the year, Washington's dropped its three biggest games against Tennessee, Gonzaga, and Houston. Can they find a way to secure another resume win against USC at home? So, Chad, this is the one I was vacillating the most. And, you know, I like to take a couple of gambles here. And I took one with Florida State winning at Louisville. Um, but you know what? I think I'm going to go with this one, too. Because USC is trending in the right direction. Uh, Washington is not, um, you know, they did not play well late against Houston out in the rainbow classic in the championship game. Um, their last big home game, they lost to Gonzaga. Now Gonzaga, number one in the country. Um, USC is not that, but, um, you know, I think it will help USC that they get the extra day. And this happens sometimes in the PAC 12 Chad, where, you know, sometimes it's a Thursday, Saturday, but then sometimes it's a Thursday, Sunday and or a Friday, Sunday or a Wednesday, Sunday. But not playing this game till late on Sunday, that might help USC you know, because this is never an easy road trip when you got to go to the Washington schools. So uh, and it's I think it's better when you've got the Pullman game first rather than second. Um, so you end in Seattle. Uh, so even though it's a difficult, more difficult team to play, I think psychologically you get up for that second game a little bit better. So I'm going to go with USC in an upset, even though I do like the Huskies long-term, I'm going to go with the Trojans with this win. It's a great point about the timing of that game. Now that conference plays in full swing, these picks are going to be harder and harder for you, Andy, but we will revisit these 12 picks next week. That's right, Chad. Uh, and of course, those uh, that follow us, um, whether it's on all our different social media platforms, the fans get very upset when I don't pick their team. But then I don't hear from them when I was correct in that pick. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> but well, first of all, I love the engagement. I love that people get so worked up. That's what this is all about. And the passion is what we love about the sport and ultimately the championship, which is the best in the American sports calendar, March Madness. So that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We'll be back next week, as always. Appreciate all our guests coming on this week. we got a great set of games, as Chad just said. Conference play is beginning all across the country. A couple of smattering of non-conference games still remaining. Then we've got the SEC Big 12 Challenge later in January, which will certainly have a couple of big matchups as well. So as always, you can find our podcast wherever you download your podcast. Podcasts and on our social media platforms at March Madness and NCAA.com. Thanks for listening.